What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Why the F Not podcast. I am Stephen Brogan Cortez, your host. Welcome, welcome. Come on in, come on in. This is episode 74, and today my guest is not a friend from college, not a friend from college. Uh, my Today's guest is an artist that goes by the name of Tom D'Agostino. I never met Tom before. It's the first time I got to meet Tom. Good hangout. Uh, I keep saying Tom D'Agostino just so I can drill it in your minds. All right, y'all. I discovered Tom uh, via Stephanie, my girlfriend, who was like, yo, check, just, you gotta check out, you gotta check out his music. Uh, I became a fan. I don't know if she wanted me to have him on the guest, I guess on the show, or just show me music. Turned out she just wanted to show me music, but uh, I reached out, reached out, see if he wanted to come on, uh, share, share a story, have fun with them. Uh, It was a good time. So sit back, relax, uh, enjoy the Why the F Not podcast with Tom D'Agostino. Boom, we're going. Oh, what a fun day today. We got a, we got a fun guest today, y'all. Now, I wanted to double check something with this guest. First off, we have... So I want to double check with you before I say your full name because there is an apostrophe on your last name and I, I didn't uh-huh. want to mispronounce it. I, it's Tom... De Agostino? Is there like a nice little like pause there? How there, do you pronounce there it? is not a pause, but uh, I just pronounced D'Agostino, um, kind of ignoring the apostrophe. Um, <laughs> but I remember the school announcements every day. If they would like, if it's your birthday or something, they would always mispronounce it. So then all the kids in my school learned the wrong way to pronounce it. So you can pronounce it however you want, but the, you uh, you can ignore the apostrophe. <laughs> Well, Tom D'Agostino, uh, music songwriter, creator extraordinaire, uh, thank you for being a guest on the show. Uh, how you doing, man? We got a little bit of talking before, but how you doing right now? How you feeling? I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Um, there's some lawnmowers going on outside, so hopefully that doesn't uh, get in the way too much. But other than that, feeling good. That's that's that Discord noise suppression. You're ha- you have a bomb looking mic, one. But like I've had friends with just regular headphones, right? Like just like iP- iP- iPod headphones, and mm-hmm. boom, Discord's like nah, fuck you, lawnmowers. We don't gotta worry about you. That was awesome. It's actually my first time using Discord. I'd never used it before, but uh, I'm glad that it works that way. Do you did you always do podcast stuff via Discord? Uh, well, when it came to having guests on the show it was the most immediate tool that I could access like a, like a a, a platform that I knew I could have like, you know, good little chat rooms here that wouldn't be bothered with time constraints or I don't Mm. know, like, uh, like with Skype or zoom, I don't know, maybe sometimes the audio will be the same, but maybe it's a bias on me, but I just like this. I always feel like discord or even when friends just have gaming headsets, like the audio still sounds good. So That's it, awesome. I, I felt comfortable here on Discord. Not a sponsor, but hey, Discord, if you want to, come on over. Yeah, uh, yeah. Feel free to tune in anytime. <laughs> but yeah, so so you're here on the Why the If Not podcast. And like I was telling you before, this is a show where I like to bring on folks uh, who are artists and not just artists, but people who like to chase their dreams and go with that Why the F Not thought you know that that one thought that started it all if you will so before we get into all the current work you're you're doing now and some of the stuff i kind of like geeked out when it came to your discography but let's start before all that like where uh where did the artistry for you begin 
Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. Um, well, I think I've always been uh, into making things for as long as I can remember. Um, I used to draw a lot and make like little comic books and I, I would crumple them up and like throw them out. And then my mom told me recently that she kept like a lot of them. I haven't seen them, but um, there's all these like comic strips and like little stories and um, that eventually morphed into songwriting. Um, this goddamn lawnmower. And uh, I don't know. I think like escaping into something creative and, and making things has always been just really, I guess, therapeutic. But even as a child, it just felt more entertaining. So um, mm. ever since I was a little, little kid, I was making some kind of something. Nice. When did music enter your life? When did that spirit enter? That entered when probably when I was 10. Um, I saw like a flyer for a guitar teacher in the local diner in Hastings on Hudson, which is where I grew up. And I wanted to learn guitar. And I found a really old little Yamaha like nylon string guitar in the basement of the house that we moved into. And we were like new to the town. And that felt like, you know, a kind of, what's the word? Um, serendipitous moment. And then uh, I also really wanted to impress this girl that I liked. So I figured <laughs> if I could learn how to play guitar that she'd probably like me. And then I think I wrote her a love letter and she was like, that's nice. And then I was like, wait, but guitar is actually like objectively cool. Uh, <laughs> so I just, yeah, ever since then, I just started playing and my guitar teacher was really cool. His name is Bob Phillips and he never really tried to hammer in any do's and don'ts with it. He was encouraged. He's basically just like, what do you want to get out of this? And I was like 10 and I was like, I have no idea, but I kind of just want to like make my own music. So he would just give me the tools to, to do that, which was really cool. Wow. Dude, at 10 years old being asked, what do you want from music? What do you want to do with music? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty rad. He, uh, he's a very stoic dude. Um, <laughs> a lot of times he would just come over and my mom would make him dinner and we would just talk. So then eventually I was like, is he just, I think he's just coming over for dinner, but um, he's one free we give food. him, <laughs> yeah. And then we like give him a check at the end, but it was, uh, he, he was really cool. I definitely learned a lot about, um, you know, the music that I liked because he would be like, I, he could just hear a song by ear and then kind of transcribe it and then teach oh. it to me. So it didn't really matter what it was. So I would bring in like all sorts of stuff. So it was kind of like he would do like these little autopsies in front of me and just show me how the songs were constructed. Uh, and basically he, he wouldn't say this, but what I learned from it is just like he was showing me that like, first of all, songwriting is not that hard. It's not like in a, like some sort of crazy uh, mystery and mm. that a lot of songs have a lot in common with each other. So you can feel free to like join that conversation by learning, you know, some technique and by practicing a lot. That's a great way to put it. Great. And so was what was your teacher's name again? Bob Phillips. Bob Phillips. Was Bob like what, what was his background? Was he self-taught? Was he classically trained? That, that dude is like a fucking enigma he so <laughs> he actually um would give guitar lessons to other like my two other friends and we started a band from all taking lessons with him but 
he would always come in and tell these like crazy outlandish stories, um, but in a, like a monotone. So I could never really tell if he was telling the truth. Um, but he also had a, a studio at his house, like a recording studio upstate. And he invited us to go record there one time. And all the stories he, he would tell us that he was like a track champion, like a nat, like a national champion or something. And we're like, yeah, right. Cause he was like kind of a squat little dude. We're like, there's no way this guy <laughs> was, he said that he was uh, Jesse McCartney's uh, guitar teacher. We're like, okay, no oh, way right. that's true. So we would kind of just like, whatever he, he likes to tell tall tales. So then we went to his house and in the basement of his house, right outside the studio, we're walking through and we all just look at each other. and I'm like, what the fuck? There's like, track trophies and like newspaper articles about bob phillips the track star and then there's like a photo with like his arm around jesse mccartney you know with a guitar and us just like all these things it's all true (laughs) it's all true and uh yeah it was kind of a trip and then yeah he had this great studio um (laughs) really cool dude like i don't know I don't know how many parents these days would just be like, okay, let's let our like 15 year old just go upstate to this, like, you know, kind of weird dude's house and just let them make music and just rock out. And he kind of just left us alone. We like drank all of his beer and then he was like, (laughs) okay, like maybe don't do that. But other than that, it was, uh, it was a really cool experience. What the hell? That sounds straight out of a film, dude. (laughs) Kind of. So all of that was true. And how old was he? Like, was he like a, like, like a older gentleman, like elderly, like one of those, like, yeah, he was older. I mean, when I met him, I mean, I was 10 when I started taking lessons with him. So he was probably like, getting yeah, like almost 50, maybe he's in his fifties. Um, so, and I actually, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but he's, uh, he was just an old, very mellow dude. He would talk about politics a lot. He talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, and I told him about some problem I had at school with like a bully or like some asshole from the football team or something. And he's like, you know what you should do next time he bullies you, you should tell him that he's a simpleton. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I don't know what that means. He's like, yeah, he won't either, but it'll really get to him. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Dude, he was like a mentor, not just like a guitar he was. teacher, but a solid mentor. Yeah, he definitely had like a guru, like ascetic vibe about him. That was like really, really interesting. So were lessons with him. So you said you would like autopsy songs. You would, it seems like he would workshop them. Was he like teaching like chords and chord progressions and teaching like like you know like the one four five two like you know just like how things work and like he he was yeah like, giving solid theory as well. He would. I mean, it was really dependent on your interest. So I was never interested in theory because it felt mm-hmm. like math and I'm not good <laughs> at math or or kind of learning in that way. Um, so he also kind of developed this style that I guess is similar to tabs, but he would draw out like a lot of the shapes and use this system that was very kind of intuitive and he would offer he'd be like if you'd want to get better at this i can teach you yeah like scales and chord structure and different keys and like you know how a a chord is structured and all that kind of stuff which i'm sure i learned but i do not even remember that stuff now um 
But if you didn't want to do that or if you weren't, he noticed that you weren't really practicing that as much. He wouldn't like push you on it. He wouldn't give you like homework. What he did do is like if you learn how to play Blackbird all the way through, I'll give you a new guitar, which I did. I base I played like, you know, most of it and fucked up a bunch. And then he was like, great, let's go out to my car. And then we went out to his car and I had this like beautiful he had this beautiful um, acoustic guitar um, that looked like the Stamos guitar in the beginning of Full House in that like uh, opening credits. He's like uh, John Stamos is playing okay. guitar. Um, <laughs> we actually convinced a lot of people that that was the actual Stamos guitar. Me and my brother because he took nice. lessons too. Um, so if they hear this podcast, they'll be uh, they'll feel like simpletons. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was he was a great teacher. I you know really felt very safe and free to like explore music with him. Wow. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of the times we go to like, I went to traditional, I, I, I majored in music back in college. And when it comes to that kind of like structured learning for music, a lot of it seems to be breaking you down as like who you are as an artist. And then they're going to rebuild you as what they think you should be as an artist, you know, whether that's voice, guitar or whatever. Right. But it seemed like yeah. Bob was like, nah, like I'm not going to break anything down that you are like, what do you like? You're not vibing with that. Cool. Let's not fuck. Let's not fuck with that then. Yeah. It's really, it's a really good point. I, I, I like, I met a lot of musicians in my life and everyone has a different background and a different relationship to music. Um, but I noticed the people that enjoy music, um, you know, and and really experiment with it, definitely have a lot of experience learning technique, um, but have not internalized that uh, ability or lack thereof as like a defining factor of if they're a musician or not. Like, in other words, people that I respect and look up to that make music, um, they make it because it's they have to and it's like an experience um it's not something that was drilled into them that they're trying that they feel self-conscious about or you know feel inferior and they have to master it or something um and that to me has always rubbed rubbed me the right like i like those types of musicians and, and songwriters hmm yeah what kind of what uh what are some examples of those songwriters that that have that vibe that you're that you're describing uh, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is my friend Quinn McGovern. He's in. Uh, he has a project called Sister James, and he is a writer and producer. Um, he's an incredibly talented person. I mean, he's kind of a an outlier example because he 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 wouldn't like me saying this, but he's like a savant. He's very uh, mm. very gifted, and he taught himself how to play piano when he got cut from the basketball team in high school. <laughs> wow, as kind of like a form of rebellion, and he. <laughs> You know, learned how to play Rachmaninoff by just like pausing and playing YouTube videos of people playing pieces mm -hmm. by Rachmaninoff, which is incredibly insane and complicated to do. And he would he just learned that way. I don't even know if he ever took any like formal lessons. I'm sure if you put him in like a conservatory as like a 12 year old, he would love that, too, or it succeed. But he he's someone that like lives and breathes music and enjoys kind of pushing the boundaries of what he's capable of and is kind of has that childlike wonder about what music can be. Um, and there's no ego involved um, from, from what I can tell. And he's also translated that to music production too. And he, you know, I went to Berkeley in, in 
Valencia and like graduated top of his class in music production. He's like a fucking alien. But um, <laughs> I'm lucky to have people like that around me that are not like, I don't know, competitive or like obsessive in a, in a kind of damaging way. Like they're, yeah. we all just like making stuff. And I think that's the point. Oh no, definitely. I think what you said earlier, I think the answer, I mean, not the answer to what you're saying, but like the, uh, the enigma inside of what you just said, I think it's ego. I think that's what distinguishes the outliers, right? It's, you could be really good at something, have a lot of talent or have a lot of knowledge or background on something. But if you have a toxic ego, that's leading the charge of whatever you're making, it's going to taint it. You know, you're going to be like, "Mm." yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, every artist that I've met, including myself, has a pretty strong ego. And I think Mm. that's just inevitable, especially if you're going to be sharing that with other people. I think it's okay to have that. But I think to your point, like when it gets toxic, when it becomes about something other than the experience or the kind of encounter that you're having with music or creating stuff, and it becomes about what it can do for you, what can music get me or what can X creative thing um accomplish in my own personal life to like feed that toxic ego that's when i think you kind of go off the rails and i mean i'm only saying that because i felt that way a million times before um and i think once i tried to approach music and creativity on its own terms and kind of let it approach me i just started to enjoy it again like i did when i was a kid um Mm. You know, when you're 10 years old making stuff in your bedroom, you're not thinking like, oh, how many streams on Spotify is this going to get me when Spotify's invented 20 years from now? Um, and I think, you know, it, it's a goal of mine to to keep that like front and center. Yes. Uh, the day we live in now, it's so easy to get swept up by likes or comments, streams, views. That you get, you forget about why you started this. You know that little kid in all of us who's just having fun and getting lost yeah. in the wonder. I think that's you know in so many different creative fields, um, this notion of like, and I mean I'm beating a dead horse because I'm sure millions of people have talked about this before, but like this social media culture or like the industry, all those kind of things, you know, are very well equipped at grinding the joy out of why you do the thing. Um, whether that's because they're trying to commodify it or because you're trying to fit a mold. Um, it can just be really debilitating. Um, but my best friend and my manager, Zach Slater is really good at explaining to me that, while it's unfortunate that a lot of those platforms are quote unquote necessary to, you know, put yourself out there. Um, they don't have to be, you don't have to be like a slave to them or beholden to them that you can like, you know, take TikTok for an example. So many artists have come out that are really, really famous and well-established complaining that they have to, kind of contrive a viral moment on TikTok as a way for the label to like be appeased or something. And I get that that's annoying. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also like you, um, you have a choice. No one's like writing, at least I don't think no one's writing you a script and telling you this is how you make a viral moment because if they knew how to do that, then they would just do it for you. So you, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like TikTok is a tool you can look at it as an instrument or you can look at it as, you know, 
this like being at the DMV, it doesn't really mm. matter. Like if, if, if you're in a situation where you need to use those platforms in order to achieve X or Y or whatever, um, it's up to you, like your perspective on what that's going to do for you. And I, I, and I think Zach helped me understand that, that he's like, I don't care what you're using this platform for. I mean, obviously within reason, but approach it like it's another space for you to be creative. Um, mm. and I think I've really enjoyed that part of it. Um, and in my short time on that platform and on other ones, I think people connect to that kind of childlike sense of wonder and experimentation and, and just being authentic. Um, so you, you kind of get to the same place. You want people to absorb the things that you think are important. You can do that. You can drag yourself to it and have a shitty attitude about it. Um, but if you're not actively, you know, undermining that industry and actively trying to change it, but you're just complaining that the label like makes you make a TikTok, I don't really have a lot of sympathy because you're you're not <laughs> fixing it and you're also not turning it into a more pleasurable and like experimental environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Perspective can do a lot to a person. Instead of yeah. saying, Oh, I have to do this, you can say, I get to do this. I get Perfect. Yep. I I get to create more. Great. That's great. No, I totally agree. Um, I probably could have just said that and saved like five minutes, but I nah, agree. dude, I, that's no, that's what podcasts are for. Because yeah, you could have just said yeah. perspective, but you were able to just divulge in that idea. That's what that's what it's for. Perfect, perfect. Hell yeah. Oh man, no, but ego is important because because back in uh, I had a, uh, a teacher once tell us, all right, in this industry, it's all about breaking your ego down, but being able to rebuild it back up. Like yeah. re- reject, like you have to have an ego, have ego enough, healthy ego enough to go into an audition or to put out that song or to create that TikTok and put it out there, but then allow your ego to break down when say you get rejected or when something doesn't get as many views. You have to be ready yeah. for that kind of thing because it's, your ego has to be malleable like water. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I, I can definitely sympathize with the, you know, the audition side of things too because i also do some acting work and like you obviously everyone knows about acting it's just a constant rejection and i think that i started acting like a couple years ago and i am so well prepared for part of it (laughs) action because music is is you know infinite rejection if you look at it that way in turn i guess defining rejection as people saying like no thanks um and you know that ego part of it i think i learned to rein in based on the people that i was around and the community i was in making the kind of music that i was and am like you kind of just come off as a dick if you think you're the best shit in the world and i think that translates to acting i think if you're not if you're more intrigued with like I said before, like what you're going to get out of the experience as opposed to being open to where the experience can take you. <clears throat> like people can smell that and people can see that and feel it. Um, so, yeah, you need ego. You need confidence, I guess, probably more importantly. Mm. But it needs to come from a place that uh, isn't a, solely about like self-image, I think, and and what you're entitled to. That's a big thing that I've like had to learn about. I think. Hmm. 
entitled um, to yeah like in uh, what way like being entitled I, like I, I i guess a way to look at it is like you spend a lot of time like making something that you mm. think is important and it may it may be important to to you and to your immediate community but i think if you are trying to show that to the world you're basically asking people you're telling people that it's worth their time and if people don't think it's worth their time it's easy for for me as an example to have been like well these people don't know what they're talking about or like i suck and maybe i should stop doing this mm. because i'm not getting the response that was in my brain or something um and that's you know can be a toxic ego drain and you could feel kind of like well i thought i deserved this i, I deserved mm. either the success part of it or maybe i deserve nothing and i suck and i think those extremes are like not the healthiest way to go about it i think you're entitled to have the space to experiment and to explore things i don't think you're entitled to like get a paycheck afterwards you know <laughs> that's fair that's totally yeah. fair damn all right, so let's take it back a little bit more. So you're you you're with with Bob and with with the boys and playing music and just having a grand old time. You're getting guitar for learning Blackbird. Where where does life take you after that? Was college a thing for you? Did you go to college study music? I did. I did not study music in college. Uh, oh. I was in a band um, called Active Bird Community, which is a long title. And we <laughs> started when we were like 12. And that band took us all the way through high school. We all went to different colleges um, and studied different things, but kept the band going. And when we graduated in 2016, everyone pretty much was like, I want to keep doing this. Like, the things that I learned in school are super valuable and I enjoy them, but everyone was kind of like, this is what we should do. Um, and we did that for a few more years and like we, we toured all over the country. We got to tour in Europe, played like festivals and stuff. We, we had like looking back some of the most incredible experiences um, that I certainly will have in my life, I think. Um, but yeah, that, I think that kind of choice coming out of school and, being like whatever uh, whatever I quote unquote should do like the safe responsible thing like that's not going anywhere so let's try this thing that you know either could go off like pop off or could disappear if we don't kind of nurture it so I'm, I'm glad that we made the choice to try even though it's really hard and it's still difficult but um, yeah I think that that experience is really cool. I also loved college. I went to Fordham University in the Bronx um, and I studied theology and Middle East studies, just uh, like complete left field. But uh, Wait, whoa, I learned time out. You studied theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah Let's I dive into that. What was that like? That was that was incredible on, on so many different levels. Um, I got to Fordham uh, not knowing what I wanted to study. I guess I thought I wanted to study political science cause I was kind of this like jaded hipster kid. Um, <laughs> and avid atheist, like anti theist. Um, and Fordham is a Jesuit university, like Catholic school. Mm. Um, so they have what's called like a core curriculum curriculum, which is pretty, um, 
you know, intense where you have to take a certain amount of religion courses and philosophy courses and um, such and such. So the first theology class I took was called, um, I don't even remember what it was called, faith, faith in critical reasoning, something, something that had the word faith in it. And that class really like, I, you know, like when you're trying not to like something and you only yeah. like it even more, like a guilty pleasure. Ooh. That class was like my guilty pleasure class. And it wasn't because I found myself, you know, converting to a certain religion or something. But I was just really intrigued by the way people come to believe in something and the, dif the differences between faith and belief and the unknown and kind of suspending the urge to know everything all of the time and have answers for things. And I think religion and theology that is done well is very good at, um, you know, living in that liminal space of uncertainty and just existing there and, and using symbol and using language and, and music in a lot of cases to, to kind of have some sort of encounter with the unknown as opposed to trying to define it. So I think that really resonated with me. And still does. Wonderful. Yeah. I, I read. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm fucking lying. I didn't read it. I saw it on a TikTok. Some guy talking about <laughs> talking about how religion may have been something that was like a key element in the evolution of of, of humans in general. Like they would like a lot of the times religion. Right. Like we use it. And when I say we, I just mean you know, humans in general. It's used just mm -hmm. to explain something, why the sun comes up, why it rains, you know, why this is going on in my life, what, where I go after I die. All these crazy, crazy questions that sometimes even myself, I have a hard time sleeping because I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I just have that idea of like, what's the point of all this? Where do I go? You know, and yeah. r faith, religion, it gives us it gives us grounding for a lot of us. I get, that's why a lot of us, you know, search out for it because it helps, it helps ground us in a, in a world where I don't know, it's, there's so many questions. <laughs> no, totally. I think, I think there's something to the kind of evolution of religion in, in how, you know, it pops up or has popped up all over, you know, centuries and centuries. It's not something that's necessarily engineered or orchestrated all the time. But I think, you know, using creating a faith based system to explain why events happen is a part of religion. But I think what intrigued me the most was um, you say seeking out answers. And like to me, what drew me is feeling a certain way about your self or your loved ones or the world around you or the universe and kind of feeling this, you know, untapped, whether it's potential or insight or, you know, some people call it spirit, whatever that is, F having that experience, that feeling and, and striving to put a name on it or, or to get closer to it or to uncover something. And I think that's why I've always enjoyed religion in different religions probably somewhat voyeuristically because i don't necessarily have like a traditional faith in anything but um i just feel like religion that is attempting to be honest in the sense that it doesn't have some ulterior motive um is very good at using 
language and symbol to kind of poke that spot uh, inside of you. An example is I studied um, this kind of methodology, I guess, that was called lived religion, which seeks to kind of move away from the ivory tower kind of, you know, scholastic Catholic church privileged form of religion that is hierarchical and structured in that way and focus on like you know the religion that one like takes up in their own hands like the grandma with her prayer beads or you know the relationship between um a muslim girl and her imam or or, or any of even something that's not overtly religious like how a father feels about his son there's something there that Mm -hmm. exceeds our categories that we place on things there's something extra about that those encounters and those feelings that at least in my life i haven't really felt has been discussed or explored in a meaningful way outside of religion and philosophy and um spirituality i guess as as a more broader term um and that to me is is worth investing time and thought into uh as opposed to you know one day we could put everything into an algorithm and we'll have the answer for love or whatever. That mm. might be true. We might be able to do that, but I'm all for suspending that reality as much <laughs> as possible. Cause that, if we're that reduct, like if we can be reduced that much to ones and zeros, um, it's just kind of scary. And I also just don't believe that that's possible. So if that makes yeah, sense, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Wow. No, no. Wow. I mean, shit, for all we know, we could all be, you know, ones and zeros on some kid's computer in some other, you know, multiverse. (laughs) We don't fucking know. We could be a universe on a speck on someone's finger, you know, like fucking Horton hears a who type of deal. But we don't know. But I love that. Yeah, that that dispenses that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. They're God. You got my mind titillated uh, right now, man. (laughs) I'm just trying to titillate you, bro. Um, I saw this uh, Ethan Hawke. He was on Late Night or something. And um forget i think stephen colbert asked people like like keanu reeves ethan hawk like what do you think happens when you die and ethan hawk had this beautiful answer and he started he's like you know i i don't think we we die and i'm paraphrasing here but he's like i don't think we die um and kind of the main point that he also landed on was that he's like i don't have the the intellect or the you know, sort of moral superiority. I don't have the makeup to answer that question. Mm. And what I got from that is you don't have to, like, I I don't necessarily know if that's the point. Like I personally don't need to know what happens when we die. And I think if I die and I am completely whatever, I, I am a conscious for eternity that's also irrelevant to like what I know and don't know right now. Um, and then also if I am somehow like a version of Tom living in heaven for eternity, um, that's kind of like terrifying to me, like me living with my own brain <laughs> and my own fucking whatever little quirks and shit for eternity it, it is terrifying. But I think, um, I don't know, just we don't know. And that's okay. Like you don't need to know everything. Um, And I think that's more of the challenge for people is like sitting in that uncertainty and that lack of clarity. Um, 
And that was the space that I occupied for years at college was kind of training yourself or opening yourself up to the possibility and the reality that there is a way of living and experiencing humanity um, that does not have to be empirical 100% of the time. Um, and people freak out about that, right? Because like, what about knowledge? What about truth? Evidence-backed arguments and all that kind of stuff. I am That is very useful as well. But I just don't think um, that's how I feel in my like unconscious experience of life. Right. Yeah, I'm really just ranting over here. No, that's that's a great rant. I want to try to tag in. Uh, yeah, folks, <laughs> folks seem too scared to sit with that feeling, that idea, being okay with what if there is nothing after we die? What if there is? We don't know. It's okay. We don't have to know. There are answers that we don't need to have. You know, there's questions we don't need answered. But people keep searching out for it, so that's why they go to religion. And that's where people can get manipulated, sadly, right? Like those who put themselves in this pedestal in the, within their religion and they say, I'm right. I have right. the answer. Anyone else who says otherwise, though they're wrong, follow me. Yeah. And well, I think – who was it who said this? It was one of those late-night talk shows too. Uh, I think was it oh, was when he was doing Tick Tick Boom, Andrew Garfield. I think I think he said this, but he said, "I don't like people who are absolutely sure about things." Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. And and one thing, like, uh, I took this class. It was like the last theology class I took senior year, and it was called Contemporary Conversations in Theology. And the whole class was basically set up to put uh, like religious fundamentalists. You know, you can imagine wh whoever you'd want to put in that category and then like secular atheists. So two extremes on like a, you know, mm -hmm. two two opposite poles. And what we talked about is that those two camps are really doing the same thing. They're putting meaning and 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 human experience into boxes. We called it locating meaning. So they were locativists was the terminology that we use. Mm. And you know, from our perspective in that class, we found that that was inherently flawed, flawed in the sense that it did not reflect any of our human experiences. Um, and I think those kind of two fundamentalist or extreme camps um, are saying what something is and what something isn't, um, which can be helpful in other aspects of life. Like, is this a predator or is this like a friend? Is this prey? Whatever. But I think right. the human experience, like we can allow our brains to be like elastic enough to to uh, explore what's in between those two. I mean, as a whole, we like to think of ourselves as so evolved, but then moments like that, you know, it's like, why are we really so threatened by someone else who thinks differently? Is that predator prey mentality coming? Like we're so primal still, you know? Yeah, I think. So. I mean, to your point, sometimes there's good reason for that because of like manipulation and and. Um, you know, just all sorts of catastrophe caused by religious institutions since their inception. And I definitely don't uh, condone any of that and openly oppose it. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I just know in my personal experience, um, I am enjoy uncertainty and, and that not knowingness and the kind of, uh, just being okay with that and existing there. And I think that's why I like to make stuff. I think that's why I like being creative because 
at least for me, I have to be in that place in order to create things well. If I think I have the answers or if I go into something with too much intention, the thing that I come out with, uh, first of all, isn't going to match what that initial intention was. So I'll be like disappointed. Uh, <laughs> but also it just feels kind of flimsy and not really, um, you know, not really truthful. I mean, being in that space of open of of uh, openness just opens you up to whatever the world has for you. You know, like if you're speaking spiritually, right? If you're just yeah. okay with sitting in that unknown space, you're able to then openly speak to other people and like learn from one another. And same with music, right? If you're letting yourself be in that unknown with no intentions, you open yourself up to whatever's flowing around you, through you, and you can create. You can have that confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it feels much more like channeling something. Um, I guess that's something would probably be like your unconscious. Um, but I think the closest that I've come to some sort of spirituality in terms of how I feel um, would be in those moments when when I manage to pull off a few minutes, an hour uh, where I'm not trying and I'm not pushing and things are just kind of happening and that's kind of the quote unquote answer that I'm interested in is, well, what, what the fuck was that? And like, mm -hmm. sh should I interrogate that more? Should I just like leave it alone and hope it happens again? And there's like a magic there, um, that, you know, you can really tap into if you can kind of get out of your own way sometimes. Is it like a butterfly that just flies by you and you appreciate it in the moment and you hope another one comes by or can you, make this happen again kind of a thing, you know? I, I have this analogy that's probably could be offensive, but I, I, the way that oh. I kind of look at it sometimes with like uh, making, like how I feel like when I want to make something, um, like that creative force, energy, whatever you want to call that thing, like you don't want to go up to it at a bar and start like aggressively hitting on it or groping it or like, you know, demanding it give you your number. You don't want to creep it out because it'll leave. So, and that's also just objectively fucked up to do. But <laughs> if you are, you know, if you're receptive to it, if you can listen, if you can be empathetic, I guess almost to your own creative impulses and not live in fear that it's going to run away and that you'll never find it again. Um, those are the times when, uh, you know, things are really working there's like it, it's cooking um a musical tinder date gone well in this analogy yeah um, you have to be consensual with your creativity you have that's exactly you're very good at distilling these long rants into good taglines <laughs> i got you uh, I got yeah, you man yeah dude yes you got to be consensual with your creativity i love that People are a little too rough with themselves, too. You know, when they're in that creative space, they, you know, you're speaking earlier about, you know, the things we hear in our, you know, you know, those why nots here from people, but also those inner narratives that we have in our minds, you know, that are stopping us, that are that, that have us beating ourselves up because we stumbled or because we aren't, quote unquote, perfect. You know, yeah. that's I mean, that's it's when you're that not like being consensual. Yeah, it's that my on my own biggest critic kind of thing. Um I watched um, The End of the Tour, which is a movie with Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. And Jason Siegel's character plays um, David Foster Wallace kind of at the end I of this book tour. I need to see that. I need Dude, to see really that. Dude, it's really good. 
I've been trying to get through David Foster Wallace's um, uh, what is it? Uh, the Infinite. Infinite oh, Jest, yeah. Infinite Jest. I've been trying to read that for the past two years. Let's just, I'll just leave it at that. No, no, that's that seems to be everyone's experience. I actually have not read it and have not even attempted to. But um, I guess the, the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the thing that I really enjoyed about it is like the interviews that Jason Siegel did after he did the movie because a lot of people were like this is kind of like a creative leap for you you're like a comedy guy and then he delivers this like beautiful and authentic dramatic performance in that movie as david foster wallace and he says in this interview like i know because people asked him like are you nervous or were you scared that people are gonna people that really covet and like love david foster wallace like are you afraid that they're gonna like tear you apart because you weren't doing him justice and he said he was afraid of it but he knew that no one else would be more critical of his performance than he would. Like he would be mm. the most vicious to himself than any person on the internet could. Um, so that kind of gave him like a shield in a sense that if he could convince or, or be comfortable enough with the fact that he did his best and that he was proud of what he had done, then he kind of won in that instance, mm. because if his opinion is the only one that really matters, I mean, within reason, then um, and you have a positive opinion of yourself, of your performance, that's kind of it. I think like you don't, you don't really need to dig any deeper into it. You kind of, you just, you kind of did it. Um, and then you're on to the next, the next challenge. It reminds me of a, of a metaphor I like to use in relationships, like in a, in a, when you're in a relationship and let's take, you're in a relationship with your art. You don't want your art to be your Sunday your ice cream sundae. Your relationship is not your ice cream sundae. Your art can be the sprinkles on top of that sundae because that sundae doesn't represent your relationship. That sundae represents your life, you as a person, right? So if you have this beautiful, beautiful sundae with like, if you like bananas on it, put bananas, put chocolate, strawberry, vanilla scoops in there, some nuts, some syrup. And then you know what? Your art, the love you have for your art or whatever it is, that relationship, that's the sprinkles on top. You have to be able to see it as the sprinkles on top and that you love those sprinkles. And if those are gone, you're fine because you can still survive with this beautiful Sunday. I love that. I think that's so that's so true because like so many people, including myself, that I know we fall into this trap of like equating our identity with our propensity to be creative. And that is can be such a pitfall because if you're in a rut or if you're not enjoying the work that you're making, or like in the case of acting, like you're doing something creative that you, you, it's not really scratching that itch for you. It's so easy to, to jump to, well, who the fuck am I then? Like Mm. if I'm not enjoying this, or if this isn't working in this moment, then like I'm not enjoying me and I'm not working. And I try to like put up barriers to to prevent that that line of thinking so I don't just throw the whole fucking, you know, Sunday in the trash. Um but it's tricky, you know, it comes in waves. It takes it takes practice, I think. And and right there what you just described there also what it takes is self-accountability. And like yeah. if you are having an experience like you're on set of some of a project that you're not completely in love with per se or it's not scratching you that itch like you said, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like for real and not in a, in a, in a, in a mean malicious way, but like, ask yourself, what is wrong with me? Like, am I not feeling well right now? Like, because 
me five years ago would have killed to be here, you know? Like that's that's also true, yeah. What's going on? I totally on agree with, with that. Am I not feeling satisfied in my life in other aspects that I am now putting all of my eggs in this one basket and it's not making me happy? So that must mean I equate to this moment, which is imperfection. Yes, yes. I totally agree with that. And, and yeah, and to your point about like being on sets, a really interesting place. And also like just acting in general, as I learn, learn more and more about it. Like I've totally had that experience of like, I go into it and it's like a one line thing or it's a small part. And then I might go into it being like, you know, I got this, this is going to be so easy. Or I'm like, I don't want to fuck up. Or to your point, I'm like, I'm maybe could do so much more. I'm like, all this untapped potential like this isn't the best material and then what i notice is that the more i'm in those situations just inherently i'm like this is fucking cool like you just look <laughs> around there's like you know hundreds of people all with different kinds of jobs that take they take super seriously and they're so committed to building this thing and then also you can stand there and have like a, a genuine experience so i have to remind myself i'm like back to the entitlement thing i'm like who the fuck are you to stand here and be like oh this this writing's a little dry or something or like <laughs> this isn't really like the meaty stuff that i deserve to do it's like no dude it's like it, you have to raise the material or whatever you have to like um you have to just like not be a dick and also realize that like this is an incredible opportunity to um first of all one that a lot of people don't get to have but also for you to like experience something out of the ordinary um so I, I totally resonate with that. You got me now thinking. I want to bring it back to I want to like connect it back to like your whole theology and just bring it back to spirituality where, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of the high you know, the icons we hear of and religion and spirituality, you have Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, all these people. Right. But I'm going to bring up Jesus and Buddha specifically in like certain mm -hmm. moments of like, you know, with Buddhism, you have enlightenment when Buddha's under the tree. He, you know, found enlightenment and I and this is stuff I uh, I uh, I was taught back at CSUN during my Chicano studies class. Like that shit could have turned me into a history major quick, dude. Yeah. But basically, in this Chicano studies class, they were just talking to us about how like Aztecs, Mayans, and like it's even in Christianity and Buddhism. There's this idea of being in the right place at the right time in the right state of mind. You know that enlightenment Buddha. You know when he like ascended to enlightenment, the right space, right time, right state of mind. And these seem like big, grandiose moments, you know, fucking rising from the dead if you're Jesus or whatever, or fucking, you know, Buddha enlightenment. Or it can be something as it can be something that makes you feel like such a main character, like being on set, even if you're an extra or you have one line or whatever it is. But just having that moment of looking around your space, who, where you are as a person. Right. And just being in that moment, that could be a a droplet of enlightenment, a, that droplet of, you know of like that feeling you're talking about when you're on stage. I, I feel like that's the key to all of that. You need to just be in the moment, whatever you're doing. It could be cooking. It could be cleaning. It could be creating. It's it, that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still trying to fucking find that in my life 110%. So, you know, we, I, you can feel genuine and create, but that space, man, that's what I was feeling at the end of every, uh, all this talk we've been having, man. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And like what you're talking about reminds me on the fucking David Foster Wallace train, but he has mm. this is water Jeez. that that um, that piece of I guess it's writing. I've only ever listened to it. I don't think I've actually ever read it, but 
you know, he talks about that. Um, I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot, but he <laughs> being in the moment and kind of being online in the grocery store and that could be an enlight an enlightened experience or, or a transcendent experience based on your perspective and based on, you know, your relationship to yourself and to the world around you. I don't think that's an easy thing to do, but I think as artists, we have almost like a leg up because we're used to observing and seeing the world through, um, through a lens that I don't think is any less real than our more intellectual or like, you know, practical mind, but it's a lens that, uh, allows us to absorb life in a way, um, that gives us gets us closer to that kind of enlightenment feeling or whatever the term would be. Um, and I, I love that so much. And that's why I like making all kinds of different stuff. Like I like acting, I like music, uh, I like writing. So I try to fill up my life with as much of those things as I can, because I, I know I'll get closer to those feelings if I do. Mm. 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 Talking about music, I feel like we can talk about like theology and even throw. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start reading more David Foster Wallace for the next time you come on by. I'm in I'm in like a phase right now. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but let's see. I wanted to touch on before we get to my favorite segment of the show. I did want to talk about because I started checking out your music, and may I just say I started dipping into Homeschool Book One. And mm. may I just say so in Homeschool Book One, Bravo! First off, Bravo! Thank you. The difference between book one and book two, it, you described, I saw here on, on Spotify, the first one was more acoustic, You it said? Book one of um, school? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more acoustic elements. Before before we go down this rabbit oh, yeah. hole, I, I think it's important to note, all of these songs were recorded around the same time, meaning book one and book two. Mm. And this has always been a thing for me where it's like you make all of the, the music or all the songs and then you're like how the fuck do we package it and a lot of times people are like you just put it in an album or like you could release it as eps or whatever and you're always put in a situation where you have to kind of string a narrative throughout the collective the collection of music so unless you're making like a concept album like an album all about the same thing which i've done in the past that can be really hard because especially for me when it's just like, I was just writing a bunch of songs and then afterwards I was starting to pick up on different um, like textural and kind of um, melodic themes that were happening. And I think once we looked at it that way is like, what can we do with the songs now that they're made now that they're like a, they're their own freestanding little bodies of work let's play with it even further as opposed to just being like, Oh, it's, I recorded all these songs at the same time. They're one album. We're like, no, maybe, maybe there is a little story there that I didn't even notice. And we can write that story now, even though that they're, they're done. And I think that's kind of where the book idea came out of, or the books idea, um, is introducing homeschool. Cause it's a relatively new project of mine by putting out, you know, little, chunks and there was actually a physical book that came out with book one too um and telling it that way which, which i really liked because putting out an album every year between like eight and 12 songs just being like that's the album it's about like x y and z i hope you like it that just gets kind of boring and like not the most creative seeming sometimes I, I, i'm not a songwriter myself but I, I don't even know what the environment must be for you nowadays you know like being a songwriter now like 
compared to what it was even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right? Like you have like CDs or whatever, just merchandise, but like everything's being streamed now. Like yeah. is when it comes to what you put out, like merch wise, is it now just whatever you want to put out like or what whatever is accessible? How do you I choose? Think it it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with um, like the social media platforms, right? Where it's like the industry changes. So that might be for good or bad. I think a lot of people in the music industry would argue that it, it's for the worse. Um, but I think what's been cool about like the team of people I have around me is it's like, okay, we can we can complain about this. We can uh, we can try to disrupt it, but we can also wield it. I'm using streaming as an example. The kind of constant need to put out music and try to get on playlists and try to get numbers going. Not it's not really conducive to an album format really anymore. Uh, there's examples I guess that you could use, but. I don't even really like making music that way. I don't even like I said before, I don't really like make like spending two years making this one big thing and then just throwing it on the table and being like, who likes it? You know what I mean? I like putting out things more consistently and like I like making music. I don't really and putting it out's cool for a couple days because it's like your friends are like that sick or like you make some new fans, play some shows. But, you know, you're kind of chasing something and that something changes a lot so you want the at least for me i want the opportunity to keep making and keep putting out and keep the the kind of the the wheels turning um so i think it's just your perspective and how you use it um there's pros and cons to a lot of it but to your point it's it's a lot different than what it was like 10 or 15 years ago it's it's Mm. a completely different beast damn man so let's see. So what was if let me see. So what was the intention when when creating homeschool book 1? Well, I think the intention we had all these songs um and I, I wanted to figure out a way to introduce homeschool as a project um without like kind of easing my set both myself and the listener into this kind of newer uh project because i was coming out of active bird community which is a much more like four on the floor kind of indie garage rock band and homeschool has elements of that but i wanted to see like what would it be like to put out a group of songs that kind of work well together and also challenge each other a little bit and also what can we do to offer the listener more than just an EP. So we came up with this kind of multimedia idea, which was these physical books um, with the same name, homeschool book one. And it has a collection of original visual art pieces made by different artists that we really loved. Um, And they would list, they would each pick a song and listen to that song and like make a piece of art based on that experience. Um, and then they would write something about it. We had um, different songwriters and collaborators that we worked with on, on those songs, give some words and some thoughts about their process. There's like some of my journal entries that I was writing during the time that music was being made. It's just this kind of hodgepodge of all these different kind of voices and, and images 
that I think really help accompany the music, not in the sense that you would like turn the page and then listen to the next song and then whatever, but it felt like a, a good way to to try something new and to see see the music as more than just a group of songs and that there's like a there's life behind them there's experiences behind them there's other people working and thinking about them and i'm very grateful for that opportunity sometimes i'll just open up that book and read it i'm like it's so fucking crazy we got people to even contribute to this <laughs> um because i'm barely in it like i, I wrote like a you mm-hmm. know like a preface or whatever but the majority of the book was made by other people because it's all these other people just talking about my like our relationship or the relationship to the music and that that was a very cool experiment that i think went went really well and so then homeschool two book two that was just the continuation of all that yeah yeah so that was kind of like now that we've warmed up with homeschool book one book two is kind of offering a further step into that world whatever that homeschool world is something that i'm still figuring out it um definitely has more of a kick to it it's definitely more rock influence and um kind of dive into some more uh intense themes and imagery and i don't know we thought let's continue with this next installment um and see where these go there isn't really like a physical accompaniment to to book two um but it definitely feels like the next chapter of the music that i'm making mm. very rad and uh, may i just say before i take us to the next segment uh from book yeah. one smartest man fucked me up that one <laughs> line uh was it was that i want to have i want to have a family see if they can stand me yeah have him find out i'm not the smartest man i was like, I was like stephanie this song fuck dude. <laughs> I told her, I told her, I told her your music felt like, felt like music where an artist, you, right? An artist is having me feel something, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just, you know, there, there are other artists out there, right? That, but it's hard to find those artists that you hear something like, and that, that a word, like a, like, like a line will just have you going, fuck. That's honestly, that's like the biggest compliment i could hope to receive doing this kind of thing um so thank you that yeah that that song means a lot to me and um i have no idea i don't really know where it it came from but it you you hope when you're making something i guess if you're making something that you know other people are going to ingest you you want people to to connect to it and maybe to see themselves in it or to um you know, discover something new. Like that song was uh, remixed by Barty Strange, who's fucking incredible. Um, and his version of that song, he heard something completely different. He does like a remix of it. Um, and he saw like a lot of, I think like dark stuff going on in it that I was both kind of aware of and completely unaware of. And he exposed that part of it and was like, this is my kind of, this is what I'm hearing and feeling. And I love that. I wish like I could have an album of just hundreds of s- people remixing songs and being like, well, I heard this or I, I felt that <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And like telling me too, because like, you know, just because one person makes a song doesn't like make it theirs. Um, and I think that's by the very nature of sharing it with, with the world or with the listener. Um, so that's really cool. I'm, I'm really happy that you feel that way about it. 
Yeah, it's like one of the best things that art can do for a person, right? It helps you not feel alone. You feel seen. You're like, oh, fuck, it's not just me. Okay, cool. (laughs) Cool. Totally. I think if you're doing it, I think if you're doing it for that reason and not solely for like, you know, attention or entitlement, but to have some sort of relationship with with the world or with individual people, that that's what I'm trying to trying to Mm. do more. Dig it. Dig it. All right. Well, beautifully said. I want to take us to the next segment of the show. This is the official. We have I only have one official segment on this show. It's a questionnaire portion. Nothing too crazy. (laughs) Uh, Have you have you ever heard of Inside the Actor Studio? Yes. Well, this is the last 10 questions that Mr. James Lipton would ask each performer uh, at the end of their interview. 10 questions that are they're deceptively simple. I like I love to say. Uh, but they're a great way to get a get to know you a little bit better. Okay, right on. Well, here we go. Let's get it started. Uh, yeah, let's get. We're over an hour now. Right on. Dig it. Oh shit! I didn't even notice. It's a, it's a good time. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Question number one: What is your favorite word? Ooh, my favorite word changes a lot. For a while, it was uh, panoply, which I love, which is like. It's like a plethora or like an an array of of different things, Um, like a smorgasbord or whatever, how you pronounce that word. So that's a good one. But then this other word that I really like now, which is way darker, is moribund, which means like on the brink, moribund, I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is on like the brink of dying is what that word means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, that word like popped into my head. I like read it or heard it. and I was like, what does that word mean? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely felt that way lately a little bit. <laughs> it's like it's like my unconscious like gave me like some kind of word to try to help me figure out what was going on. <laughs> so, yeah, that one right now. Nice. Nice. Next question. What is your least favorite word? Least favorite word. That's a really hard one. Oh, beast, I think. I don't, that just popped in my head. I don't know if that's true, but people will say, like, oh, that dude's a beast or something, or like beast mode or something. Yeah. I feel like that's just like a such a word that's, I, I watch a lot of basketball, um, and they use that word a lot. Like words that describe people as like animals kind of fuck me. I don't enjoy that a lot. Like, uh, beast or like, uh, like he he he's he's a dog out there. He's an animal. Like I, I hate. I don't know why. I just because to me basketball is such like a beautiful sport. It's like um, like choreography. It's like a bunch of like jacked ballerinas doing this like performance art. So I think when people use words to describe it that are so like hyper masculine and like aggressive and uh, it's painting this picture of it that I don't experience at all. So beast. Mm. I don't I don't like that word. Nice. Right on. <laughs> Next, again, these questions are so simple, but like, it's I know, to know people. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Next question. What turns you on? What makes you happy? Huh. I think there's a lot of different things, but uh, when someone is, when when you said turn on, I thought about like what turns me on in, in somebody else. So I'm going to go with that. But I think when someone is like really uh, stimulated or like intrigued by an idea 
or like someone can't get like a concept out of their head or like, um, you know, kind of the stuff that we're like geeking out about. Like, I love finding people that it doesn't matter what the topic is, can just kind of go off on like a tangent about something and I could just sit there and like soak it up like that. That's a big turn on. So you're turning me on right now, I guess is what I'm saying. Nice. <laughs> Answer is Stephen. Nice. Yeah, Stephen. Sorry, I could have just said that. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay. That's a first for the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Next question. What turns you off? What turns me off? I guess the opposite of that. When people are when people are clearly uninterested or disinterested in um, the world around them, uh, when people can't really get excited about something, um, I don't even care if that something that excites you doesn't excite me, but just feeling like there is a reason to like get out of bed and do something other than, you know, pay the bills and like eat a meal or like go on vacation. So if people, if people don't have more than that, I'm it's a turn off. Hmm. Right on. Next question. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise do I love? Um, it's a good question. I really like, uh, I mean, this is like a pretty basic one, but I really like falling asleep when it's raining is really nice, really calming to me. Um, I've been staying a lot at my dad's house who lives, he lives in um, kind of Westchester, New York, which has a lot of trees. Um, so, and I'm, I am used to living in the city. So you don't really hear like wind doing anything or rain doing anything. It kind of just like hits the building, but here you can constantly feel things like moving around like the trees or the bushes or like any kind of foliage and stuff. And like that mm. is really soothing because uh, I, I want to be a part of nature like more, but I don't have a very strong relationship to it. So whenever I can like hear naturey sounds, it makes me feel good. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Next question: What sound or noise do you hate? Um, I hate. Oh, I hate when people like open or close like cabinets really loud or like stomp around it like triggers something from my childhood that i don't like <laughs> so I, I hate people that are very loud with like their movement um so yeah i like people who are i'm probably very loud with my movement which is the, the irony <laughs> of that but yeah i like people who move through a space gently <laughs> <laughs> right on right on all right next question this is a a crowd favorite what is your favorite curse word? Ooh. I mean, I mean, it's got to be fuck because I use that the most. But my favorite. I guess it's, it's probably fuck. There's so many different uses of it. I know it's kind of a boring one, but I think I think fuck fuck is good. So yeah, <laughs> nice. Fuck, this fuck, is the this, 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 a. this is the kind of question that you need to give it time. You can't rush these things. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> We're not rushing this. This is the process. Trust the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying. Next question. 
What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Huh. I would really like to... I did a lot of research when I was at school. So, like, sitting in libraries and, like, going over books and interviewing people and being surrounded by a lot of uh, information... I would love to do that. Like if someone needed to research, like they were writing a book about like the intrepid or some, something, some random historical artifact or event, I would love to just like be an archival, like researcher and just kind of do that. Cause I like like pouring over lots and lots of dense stuff and trying to figure out like where the, where the juicy stuff is. I think school made like turn that into like a fun thing. Um, so I would love to do that. Uh, yeah. Nice. Nice answer. Thanks. Next question. What profession would you not like to do? I don't want to work in like an office. Um, like I would hate to work on Wall Street or something or, or really any kind of office environment somewhere where you have to like wear a certain outfit and sit at a desk and like you can't leave and like any of those jobs that have all of this made up language, like deliverables and <laughs> uh, what are some other great words? Like we're going to circle back and we're going <laughs> to just uh, decks. We're going to make some decks for the client. Anything that involves a client, I do not want to be a part of. <laughs> right on. Right on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. And final question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? All right, I really need you to help me out with this. So I got a lot of shit to do. Can you give me a hand? That's probably what I would want him to say. Just knowing that there's something to do up there. You know what I mean? (laughs) Showing up and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not like done. Like I... (laughs) There's so much shit to do. We got, you got to move those boxes. Like I need your help with this, like all this kind of stuff. That'd be cool. So you mean, you're telling me that God's going to run out messy looking like a single parent and like, Oh, yes. good thing you're here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got my fucking rehearsal at eight. I need you to like go drop off my dry cleaning. <laughs> Just like keep it, keep it moving. <laughs> you have the, you have the Western hemisphere. Can you keep an eye on that for a second? <laughs> I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. I got you. You got Bob Ross painting skies over there. He'll keep you company. Yes, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful time. We made it to the end of the podcast. Uh, uh, Over an hour down, hour 13. Look at that. Now it's your time to take up some, take up this space now and just let the folks know what you're up to. Any, your latest singles have come out. If they can see you anywhere upcoming, take it away, Tom. Hell yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you having me. This is really fun. Uh, what do I got going on? I put out a single called next day. That was a couple weeks ago and I'm putting out two more songs, um, in the next couple months that are kind of the last bits of that music. I told you I made a couple, couple years ago. Wow. At this point, that's from homeschool book one and two. Um, so that'll be coming out soon. Uh, you can also see me. I'm, I did this uh, TV show over the summer called Dear Edward. Um, 
And I think that's coming out like 2023. So I play Frankie. I work at a machine shop. You can see me hey. see me there. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just going to be writing a lot, um, making funny TikToks and uh, yeah, just goofing around. Dig it. Till next time, my friend. Till next time. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, friends? Welcome to the end of the show. This is the outro, the official outro for episode 74 of the YDF9 podcast with Tom D'Agostino. Did y'all enjoy that? That was a good talk. Did not expect the the whole theology major thing. Did not see that coming. That was a pleasant surprise. Uh, Great time hanging out with Tom. Can't wait to have him back on. That's going to be fun. We'll talk more about dissecting theology and Maybe I'll read more of that David Foster Wallace book, Infinite Jest. Maybe. Maybe I'll get through a couple more pages in the next week or two. Maybe. Maybe. It'll be fun. Uh, check out Tom's music uh, on his Instagram. You can check out all his links. That's Tom D'Agostino. I believe he goes by homeschool.music uh, for uh, their new project name. But go check out go check out their page. The link, All the links are going to be in this description for the episode, of course. So check out that for uh, for their links, as well as my links. Go you know, go search up Stephen Brogan Cortez. Have you done that yet? Go do it. If not, check out the description for the links. And don't forget, you're enough. You're more than enough. It's insane how enough you are. Okay? Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs>